श्रीला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय घोर भक्तवृंद की जय घोर प्रेमानंद हरिवो सो गुड मॉर्निंग टू ऑल ऑफ यू फ्रॉम माधुबान कस्तरिका गुड इवनिंग गुड आफ्टरनून वट एवर यू मे बी वी आर कंटिन्यू विथ आवर सीरियस ऑफ लेक्चर्स इन दिस केस रिगार्डिंग वैष्णव एथिकेट सो टुडे वी आर इन आवर थर्ड मीटिंग and today we will be if you will more officially starting with some different items or advices shared in different departments of our gudiya vaishnav uh, day life hmm? so today we will be speaking about guru seva uh, most probably not only today let's see how long it takes for for presenting some points i had in mind for today but i think it may take a little bit more than than one day but as usual before we will make some brief summary of which was which were the topics that we discussed um last monday if i'm not mistaken yeah last monday where we mainly spoke about the role of vedic culture in one's decorum some form of extended introduction mm, to to the topic of vaishnav etiquette that we introduced in the in our first lecture So we started with some if you will imaginary purva paksha or argument regarding okay Mahaprabhu himself was the inaugurator of raga bhakti in the world which is apparently a no rule based uh, school uh, spontaneous devotion sometimes it is called but the point is that he followed at the same time certain rules especially the sanyas in the context of Vaishnava etiquette, Mariyat, Sadachar, very strictly as a sannyas, we share some examples. So we started to speak in that regard how uh, we are Gaudias, for sure, <laughs> and we are not Vedic in the classical sense of the term, that sometimes Vedic is identified with the idea of Barnashram, Karmakanda, this overt emphasis in that direction. Of course, this is not our school of thought, but at the same time, even though we may dismiss the if you will the most ger- more general vedic uh, idea in our tradition our prospect in lila we mentioned plays itself out in such context in the context of we may call traditional indian culture of vedic culture both in braj golokrindavan and both in nadia nitya navadvip these two lilas will play themselves out in the context of such a culture so my our point was there is a place for this for considering cultural hmm, sensibilities in the realm of lila hmm. of course that may not be something absolutely prioritary in the today for every sadaka but we should gradually culture those sensibilities in our prospect to eternity and that's to be done of course here in our sadaka day hmm. we also mentioned how this vedic culture is eternal hmm, is created by krishna himself he establishes this in the gita and we as godias we are worshiping again a form of the absolute which is pretty determinate not indeterminate absolute like brahman or considerably generic form of the divine like paramatma still but a very determinate ultra determinate we may say krishna bhagavan is determinate krishna 
as Bhagavan is even more determined than Braja Krishna is ultra-determined, fully adorned with cultural sensibilities in Braja and so on. So Braja Krishna, our, or, or, or Gore, Gore Krishna and Nadia, our deity, our Istadevs, they had their, they are really determined, they are personal. And they have their likes and dislikes. So their likes and their dislikes are our pros and cons. What to do, what not to do. Those are our rules. He, Krishna Vrindama, has an ego. We mentioned as a gopa. We mentioned the, the, this, this stance where the Brahmin wives wanted to join him and he didn't accept them and he accepted the gopis because the gopis came from the Baisya side of Vedic culture, Barna Ashram, while the Brahmin ladies are not supposed to join a cowherd boy. No? So some consideration of Vedic culture is there, of course, for the purpose of something like Parakya, Krishna and the gopis will transgress that also, no? in the context of Madhurya Rasa. In Lila, the Vedic law is again rejected. On some in beginning level, we may totally reject that, saying that's relative, we are Gaudias, but when we are full into the Lila, especially in the context of Madhurya above, that Vedic law will be transgressed, Sarvadharma Parityaja, <laughs> but for the purpose of further Lila. And if someone may present the argument, well, by Krishna only accepts the Bhavas, we say, well, but Bhav is something we should develop, and these details, which are part of the Vaishnava etiquette, are part, crucial part of that. So, my problem may be we are sometimes confusing modern Indian culture with traditional Indian culture, which is Vedic culture. And as we mentioned, India was not India before, the whole world was known as Bharat. And so in this way, we should be able to differentiate between these relative considerations, modern considerations, the role of Vedic culture and how those cultural sensibilities may play themselves out, not only in Lila, but in, in the considerations of Vaishnava etiquette here and there. So in this sense, we spoke about three levels of following this. My Guru Mahesh will say literal, interpretative, and esoteric. You can understand Shastra in those levels, and we may say you can follow this idea or many other things in those level, levels. Very literal sense, just copy-paste without understanding the purpose. Interpretative, separating substance and details as an intermediate sadhaka, but esoteric in the realm of Lila, how that plays itself out. So I also quoted my Guru Maharaj when he spoke about breadth and depth, the breadth and depth of Mahaprabhu's gift, dispensation, Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the, the breadth side we have space for certain ideas but in, in the depth side we will find ourselves in Lila and our prospect in Lila and we should pay close attention to those detailed descriptions of the land there mm-hmm. and we should not dismiss these for example Vedic sensibilities uh, but at the same time we should pay attention to our present situation that also we play the emphasis on as Humans in our particular DNA and psychology now, we may have certain relative necessities as sadhakas, as women, men, American, all young, whatever. And we should create sattva, balance, in those uh, platforms so we can project our transcendental uh, prospect properly. So we invoke the term deshakala bit, which means someone who is a knower of differences between place, time, and therefore circumstance. And understand, we should be dynamic, we belong to a dynamic tradition, we are not to reject modernity altogether. So we have to know how to deal with modernity, 
with Vedic culture, with the Gaudi ideal, all this in the context of, in this case, uh, following the advice of Vaishnava etiquette, which generally this advice, as we have already mentioned and we will continue mentioning, has to do with common sense, has to do with being in love, if you will, with the sadhu, and therefore adapting ourselves to whatever pleases the sadhu, doesn't please the sadhu, which is the criteria of what pleases and dislikes and dislikes Bhagavan himself. So in, in Vaishnava etiquette, we will find that in most of these rules, there is some common sense, universal intuition, mostly. And even we may find, but we may find some exceptions to the rule, where some of the advices are not fully, at least apparently rational to our to our demand, if you will. But in some of those cases, it's a nice opportunity to just put our head in the ground, pray, and receive some epiphany there, and open ourselves. Not everything needs to be rational in one point. Of course, most of our things, the things we follow in our practice are fully, full of common sense. But some details are there to make us take some leap beyond that, if you will. So do not expect everything to fit between our ears, basically. Hmm? So some ideas that we shared um, our previous lecture, speaking about Vedic culture and which is the role of Vedic culture in Vaishnava etiquette. So today, as I mentioned, we will speak about Guru Seva. And we will start speaking about Guru Seva, let's say how much it takes. And I consider it very important to start speaking by this before every other department, if you will, of Vaishnava etiquette, because, because as I already mentioned, uh, we, won't, we won't develop sadhachar, we won't obtain mariyad, uh, Vaishnava etiquette, just by memorizing some handbook of instructions, some list of rules, but mainly in the association hmm, of Sri Guru and in the context of service and surrender to Sri Guru. We follow again Raga Nuga Bhakti, which implies to follow in the footsteps of the Brajabhasis eventually, but also in the context of Gaur Lila to follow in the footsteps of those Brajabhasis appearing in Gaur Lila, and that extends to the idea of our Parampara. So whatever Sri Guru performs, we won't imitate that, we will speak about that a little bit, but we will try to align ourselves to his, her, the quorum. So it's crucial to speak about Guru and Guru Seva, especially. Hmm? For example, and, and, and there are many quotes in scripture which speak about how by this Guru Seva, how by properly, having the proper decorum in relation to one's Guru, the proper conception, the proper attitude, the proper feeling, the proper approach, all success will come from there. Hmm? In his Bhakti Sandarbha in Anucheda 237, Srila Jiva Goswami shares one of these some of the many statements about this point. He says, Tashmat Anyat Bhagavach Bhajanam Apinapekshita. He mentions that one can attain all perfection, <coughs> all, it's all, <laughs> simply by engaging in loving service to the spiritual master. It does not depend on any other devotional activity. Hmm? So by properly engaging ourselves in Guru Seva, everything will come from there. Then he quotes famous verse from Hari Bhakti Vilas as well. Which gives some analogy, just as copper becomes gold through the touch of alchemically treated mercury, that's idea. So that's a desire, the same way a disciple t- 
take on takes on the qualities of Vishnu hmm, through loving service to the Guru alone. Hmm. That's it, the emphasis here. Guru Rivasisyo. Hmm. So there are many of these verses, Krishna in the Gita speaking to Uda, but also I'm not as pleased by this, by this, by that, as I am with service, loving service to Sri Guru, and so on. This class is about Guru Seva, not about Guru Tattva, because that may take another seminar, what's Guru Tattva, what's Sri Guru, what's the truth about Sri Guru. Something a little bit I've mentioned and I will mention, but basically I will focus in the context of Guru Seva. So I won't enter into the details of the ontology of Sri Guru, the role, the importance of Sri Guru. But of course, as we know, Sri Guru is on one side Sakshaktari, on the other side he's Krishna himself appearing in a representational sense. He's Krishna himself extending his presence to our lives. At the same time, he's a devotee, she's a devotee of Krishna, more especially personifying a particular type of love for Krishna, which is the goal of our life. And our devotional activities should uh, basically exist around the principle of Guru. Srila Rupa Goswami, when he mentions the, the different Angas of Bhakti, he starts with the main ones, and all the main ones, the very beginning ones, are all around the Guru. Tashmat Ado Guru Padasraya Sri Krishna Dikshadi Sikshanam Vishram Bena Guru Seva, Sadhu Bhat Manusaranam, and so on. So the first one is you take shelter in Sri Guru, and then as they receive Siksha, eventually Diksha, and further Siksha, and Guru Seva Vishram Bena. Render service to him in a very loving way, with confidence, affection, respect, confidence. So this is an important point. Srila Jiva Goswami mentions... Some people will conceive Krishna Bhakti as the Angi and Guru Bhakti as the Anga or Krishna Seva, Guru Seva. But some others will conceive Guru Seva, Guru Bhakti as the Angi and Krishna Seva as the Anga. Krishna Bhakti is an, an aspect of Guru Bhakti. And you also say that criteria pleases Krishna much more. <laughs> so, of course, when I speak about the principle of Guru, we know there is one Diksha Guru, you cannot have more than one Diksha Guru because there's only one mantra. And the Diksha Guru, Diksha implies, but you can have many Siksha Gurus. Of course, this is not something cheap to say. No? Because in one sense, Siksha and Diksha represent the same principle and there are two different functions of the same department, Guru Tattva. So with the same type of surrender and love and confidence you surrender to Diksha Guru, if you have another one who is a Siksha Guru, you should make no difference in, in, in that sense. In both sense, both are guru. And as we know, who is the most important in case you have some Siksha guru different from your Diksha guru? Silasya Maharaj replied, the one who is helping you the most. So when I speaking today here about Guru Seva, I mean, you will apply this idea to, to the main guru figure in your life or figures. No, it is not to be limited to one person, but at the same time we know we need to have certain focus in some direction. One, two, three. We cannot have unlimited gurus. I mean, if you are too advanced, we will have that capacity, but gradually we have to begin with one, and gradually maybe two, and so on. So these ideas will be applicable to our, yes, most important guru figures in our life. There are many considerations that I will be sharing 
in this lecture and the next maybe, but not. I won't be able, of course, to <coughs> to address so many nuanced details concerning Guru Seva. So for those who have never read it, I strongly recommend at least once in this lifetime. And of course, I'm not saying just once, please more than once, but you should read the book Sri Guru and His Grace by Srila Bhaktivedanta Dev Goswami Maharaj. That's such a a crucial treatise. I mean, it's a revelation came spontaneously from his discourse, mainly to Prabhupada, dis disciples of Srila Prabhupada, at, at very important, crucial moments. So, and, and he shares so many nice considerations about how to deal with Guru, how to conceive Guru, Diksha Guru, Siksha Guru, how to deal with God brothers who are Gurus, how to, whatever. So many things regarding the principle of Guru. So, strongly recommended that as a complementary study. Sri Guru and His Grace. So, Bishram Bena Guru Seva. We are speaking today about Guru Seva. Seva means, we may translate that as service, but again, we will see that it's not just service. It has to do with trying to give pleasure to the object of our affection in a very particular way from our side, also as Sisya. No? Because when we speak about Guru, we need to speak about Sisya or disciple. I mean, it's a twofold equation, if you will. You cannot have one without the other. So, let me introduce this <clears throat> topic by sharing some words about uh, what's expected from us as well, as disciples, as students, as guru, and, and the context of initiation also. Because it's when we speak about guru generally, the idea of initiation comes uh, in, on our path. And so, most of you, well, no, at least the ones I see that are connected, not all, but a good number of you are already Initiated, have received Harinam or Diksha. No, strictly speaking, Diksha has to do with initiation. But even though we may be initiated, we should understand this is a process. No, it's not something that happens in one single moment. So we need to hear this, whether we are initiated or not. So, which is the only requirement for initiation, if we want to put it simple and essential? Well, the only requirement, because sometimes we may be overwhelmed with so many rules, what to follow, and some of this in the context of Vaishnava etiquette. So which is the only requirement for initiation to follow the instructions of your guru? Which seems simple, but of course implies so many things. It's so, such a deep prospect there. So the only requirement is for initiation follow the instructions of your guru. What it, that translates into render favorable service to him, her, and avoid exactly the opposite, those things which are not favorable. As we already mentioned, anokulyas sankalpa pratikulyasya varjanam. Make a firm vow of embracing whatever is favorable, no matter how unfavorable your condition side feels it. And also determine yourself to avoid those things which you know are unfavorable, no matter how favorable you may still uh, feel them. So that's part of the surrender of the disciple. So initiation, the very word speaks about some initial stage, the beginning of something. Now initiation doesn't mean my guru took all my anarthas and I'm totally free from day one. I'm a pure devotee, but he's accepting me to begin the purification process, to begin the training. Of course, from day one we receive his connection and an eternal prospect and we are going on the way back home, if you will. Mm -hmm. If we are not committing apparatus and nonsense and kind of things like that, but 
we should understand we are in a process of being trained as everything in life when you want to learn something and accept a teacher for that. So we accept a guru, and it's important this point to understand. Accepting a guru means fully accepting a guru. A guru is there to be fully accepted. Krishna is there to be fully served and loved. Of course, this may take some time, but at least we should have that conviction from from the beginning. And that's why we may have some period before officially accepting one guru to test the guru or be tested by the guru, to know each other and to really accept both each other. I want to have that person as my guru, and the guru will think, I want to have that person as my disciple. We will put ourselves to test, but after that we should really surrender. And that's again, not a mandatory thing. It's a voluntary act of of love. Because if that's not there, the the, the equation won't be there. As we mentioned, the the ingredients to turn copper into gold won't be there. Hmm? So if you are not able to fully follow your guru, it doesn't make sense that you accept a guru. You follow. I mean, if you accept your guru partially, and sometimes you follow what he says, she says, and sometimes you don't because you didn't like the instruction, it means you didn't understand from to begin with what's a guru, and what's, what's expected from that. Krishna the Gita says, So first of all, there is pranipad, which means surrender. Voluntary surrender, not forced. You go through the test you need to go, you prove the things you need to prove, and then you voluntarily put your heart on the feet of that person, if you will. Pranipat, Pariprasna Seva, then humility, hum- humble inquiry, and Seva. Seva comes at the end of this process, interestingly, not from day one. So we should understand, we go to the Guru in a serious spirit, no, Srila Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Satsapati Thakur will say, there is no return ticket when you go to Sri Guru. No? Because you are accepting that person as the captain of the boat that will take you beyond the ocean of samsara, if you will, to the other side. So you should trust that person fully and not jump from the boat and go back swimming who knows where. So the Bhagavad also is describing clearly which is the, the spirit of of the disciple, when it says, describes the Guru, Tasmat Gurum Prabhadita, but then it says, Jignasya Sriyautamam. Jignasya Sriyautamam means, this disciple should be inquiring into the highest good. Sriyautamam. Sriya means benefit, Uttamam means topmost, and Jignasya means inquiry. So, what's on the part of the disciple? A deep, grave, committed serious inquiry into the nature of the ultimate good. That willingness to surrender in, in order to really grasp and embrace and serve properly that. So that's a very serious affair. It's not a social issue. I, now I have a guru, I have a new name or whatever. Again, it's seva. Seva is translates as a labor of love. When we speak about guru seva, it's, again, it's not forced action it's not mot- to be motivated by some external result, but it's a labor of love. It's not ordinary work to begin with. It's a very privileged opportunity to render seva. That's how it's understood in Gaudiya. In Vaishnava etiquette, Gaudiya tradition, to be a sevaka, sevaka means once who engages in seva. So seva is a very privileged opportunity, therefore a sevaka, the conception of sevaka is not 
have it's not a, in um, caring hmm, a negative connotation as we may feel in this world to be a servant we generally do not feel it very nicely because the boss is not very nice as well and the act is done only for personal profit I work, I became a servant to receive money for my separate purpose but here we are saying the boss is ideally free from selfish desire the sevaka should be ideally so the interaction between them is not a selfish one so we are, there is no exploitation here on the contrary you know, a sevaka traditionally as he said has a, a, a position of great respect. If you are a real sevaka, that's the topmost honor. And we, all of us, are having that opportunity invitation. But we have to properly conceive what does it mean, what to be a sevaka. Because again, it's a great position of great respect because such, such a sevaka has accepted that position in a voluntary way and in a happy way, renouncing to mundane interests for the sake of spiritual purpose, for the pleasure of Guru, Vaishnavas. So in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, again, Sevaka uh, engages in Seva with the object of attaining Prem, mm-hmm. which is the, as you know, the, the zenith of selfless Bhakti. Mm-hmm. So that's a very glorious idea. And of course, again, in the practice, we may feel ourselves a little bit uh, far from the goal or from this ideal, but at least in theory, we should know we are sevakas, we have received that opportunity, sadakas, sevakas, another way of saying the same. So, of course, since I am speaking about sevaka, there are degrees of this. And I think all this is important to know when we speak about Guru Seva and Vaishnava etiquette, how to deal with Sri Guru means how to be the best possible disciple I can be. So generally speaking, in a general way, we can speak about three types of sevakas. The topmost, let's say Uttam, Madhyam and Kanishta, if you will, for, for using some terminology. Topmost, intermediate and, and lower Kanishta, a lower sevaka. So the, the highest one, sometimes the, the, the word Kinkar is applied to them. Kinkar, as you may know, Mahaprabhu uses this word, Ajinanda Tanoya Kinkaram, the fifth verse of Sikshastaka. And Kinkaram is translated as servant, but kinkara carries the implication of kin, karo, karo, karomi, hmm? which means what can I do? Oh. Hmm. Kara means to do and kin means what? So the word is how can I serve you in the words of my Guru Maharaj. What can I do? How can I serve you? means the person has a, a very intense disposition to service to such a degree that such a kinkar, such a sevak, doesn't need instruction hmm? To, doesn't need to be instructed in order to do the to follow the instruction. You follow. Now that person is so aligned with the current of service that that person does not need to be instructed. Please do this. Please do that. The person is already doing that. Is feeling the necessity of that service. Is totally identified with his her object of service. So spontaneously is is there already. That's the topmost level of sevaka. Now intermediates. Servitor is that person who needs to be instructed and who needs to be told what to do, and the person will do it. So that's glorious on some level, of course, for sure. Now, you may not have yet that intuition, but at least you are willing to render seva when, when, when that expresses itself to you. And, of course, you can imagine the lower type, lowest types of servant, 
quote-unquote servant <laughs> is that person who, who receives instruction but is not following that. And regarding this last one, sometimes this is called Sevakadham, which means the lowest amongst uh, Sevakas. There is some extra division that I will share with you. It's a little bit tragicomical, which uh, presents six, it's a six-fold divisions of Sevakadham, of the lowest of Sevakas. Again, sometimes we may feel ourselves, oh my God, I'm part of them. It still is some category of Sevaka, but we should detect that to rise to the occasion. So the verse says, Alir bano jyotishaka stabdhibhuta kimekaka prishita prishakas chaiba sariyete shivakadama So there are six types of low servakas. So I will, I will briefly define each of them. So the first one is uh, compared, some of them are compared to certain species. First one is the bumblebee. Hmm? The bumblebee. So it is say that the bumblebee-like servant, if you will. So it is say that the bumblebee is only interested in trying to extract the pollen, the nectar, for for, for his own convenience. Hmm? So in the same way, this so-called servant will receive the order of Sri Guru, hmm? but the person won't be open, won't be willing to follow that. If, if the instruction is not fitting to him, to her, if I don't like the instruction. Uh, and instead of that, we'll act like a bumblebee, we'll just be like buzzing, no? uh, ex excessive time buzzing around the, the instruction, but not following it. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes the, the idea is in the same way that the bumblebee is extracting the pollen from a flower and it's emptying the flower, it goes to another flower to do the same work. So this so-called servant similarly at the end they may even abandon their guru as, as long as they have extracted whatever they desire from that person. So again, you see that some of them are not servants at all. The second type is the arrow-like servant. So it has, there are some examples in this regard. One of them is the example of the arrow is given because such a so-called servant is uh, replying back to the guru in such an arrogant way that is piercing his master, no, the heart's master, like a very no, powerful arrow. Or some other meaning in this connection is sometimes Sri Guru will give an order, an instruction, and the sevaka uh, is not waiting to hear the instruction in a full way, in a detailed way, and just will go flying, quote-unquote, like an arrow through the door, such as an arrow, to apparently to follow the instruction and to do that, but the person is not knowing what to do and where to go or how to act. So the person will fly from the door but will never return and will never actually do the, the, the proper seva. There, the third type of seva kadam is the jyotish, interestingly, astrologer. So as you know, the term jyotish has to do jyotishaka, which means astrologer. Jyotish means astrology. So Jyotish refers to astrology. So in this connection, the example is given because this type of servant is un yet unqualified, as we will see, and will, when the Guru is giving some seva, the servant will create so many problems and calamities and will start to calculate like an astrologer and to wait for the correct alignment of planets and constellations. No? So whenever everything is in place, I will do the service. 
before doing anything, no, the person will be procrastinating and trying to make all this, waiting for auspicious constellation. And of course, we know how it does, does it end. It, well, it never happens. An instruction of Sri is not follow. A fourth one is compared, it's like the inert, inert one, no? which is stat vibhuta, which means it's like lazy or inactive. And stat vibhuta means inert, lazy, again, not, mo no, not moving, without speech, all these possibilities. So the idea here is that the guru is given an order and this, and this sevaka becomes like overwhelmed, basically bewildered, confused and not knowing what to do, and he's unable to take any type of decision about how to apply himself, herself in practice. So, in that state of bewilderment, he ends up doing nothing at all. So, different ways of, of course, we can create some other analogies and examples, but different ways of analyzing this nuanced psychology of someone who is really not the best type of servant. So, we have two more. The fifth example of the fifth species of these so-called pseudo-pseudo-disciples has to do with those who lack uh, like initiative of one's own. Hmm? So it's, one is in denial of doing something of one's own. For example, Guru, Sri Guru gives an order and the Sivaka will think, how will I be able to do this all by myself? And there are so many others here in the temple, in the ashram, in the, in the community next to me. So why Gurudev is asking me to do this and why didn't he ask someone else to do so? Why me? Something like this, this type of spirit. And of course, you are not open, willing to receive that as, as what it is, as mercy, as shelter. But you feel that as a burden. And the last one, this is a very classical one as well, is the one who is uh, delegating. I think that's a word in English. Uh, I, I'm alright, I, I, let me check, uh, yeah, delegating, the one who is delegating uh, to others, whatever comes to him or her, to avoid any type of responsibility, so for example, Srila Gurudev will give to this so-called sevaka some task, uh, and, and this so-called sevaka will look quickly someone else to deliver, to, del to delegate, sorry, that task, no? so he, he, she can quickly be free, Know, from all type of commitment and responsibility. And of course, sometimes what happens is you delegate that to someone else and that someone else will delegate to someone else and this so-called parampara <laughs> makes the whole instruction never to happen. It never happens. It dilutes in the way. So when Sri Guru will ask about what happened with this thing that I asked, the Sivaka will say, well, I give that order Srila Gurudev to someone else so they can perform. Now, so the point is that for such a person... To receive the Guru's instruction becomes, again, a problem, not a blessing, a burden, not shelter. So again, these are some examples of what not to do, what not to be, what not to embrace in the context of Guru Seva and Vaishnava etiquette in our approach to Sri Guru. I'm, I'm, I'm not yet starting with the practical details of our relationship with Sri Guru, and I may not be able to do that today. But I, I want to share first this type of um, preliminary considerations about guru, disciple, how not to be. Sometimes that helps a lot in, in complement to speaking what, how to be. So let's share some examples on the opposite. Now we, we have been speaking about how not to be, how not to behave towards Sri Guru. Mm -hmm. 
So let's cont contrast this hmm, with some examples of how to be classical example from the Vedic lore, which describes the exemplary disposition to, to sacrifice from a genuine disciples trying to please Sri Guru. Hmm? Uh, so let me share you one, or maybe more than one, but at least one example, nice story comes to mind, which is an ancient one. In old times, there was one guru called Dhomya, Dhomya Rishi. And he had one disciple called, I mean, not only one, but I'm speaking about this one, called Aruni. Hmm? Aruni. So he was. this was in the classical setting of the Vedic times and Gurukul, and the student living together with the guru. Nowadays we may have some different dynamics, but again, the principle in essence is the same. So, Dhamya Rishi had one day wanted to test hmm, the eligibility of Aruni as a disciple. And of course, with this to bless him, that's for sure. So, in this way, one afternoon, hmm, the, sun, the sun was just uh, disappearing. It was almost evening. So, the Clouds started to cover the sky, and Domio Rishi asked Aruni, "Please, can you go to a, some little reservoir of water nearby here that we are using to irrigate? Irrigate, you say, like to water the the rice fields that are nearby. So please go and, and make sure this reservoir is not leaking. No, how in, in the way the water is is flowing. So Aruni reached the reservoir, and he found a little." Um, yeah, little hole. So he tried to repair that with some branches and some mud. But despite all his uh, efforts to do so, to follow the instruction of his guru, Aruni was not able to do so. So it was already getting dark. And Aruni was, but the point is, he may, what, what have you done there? He may have said, okay, I was not able, it's too, it's too late, I will go back and will sleep. But his mentality was not. Guru Dev gave me an instruction, and I am determined in following the instruction of my Guru, somehow or other. Hmm? So, last resource, he just laid himself. He put his own body on the on the mud, on the hole that the water was coming, and he used his own body to cover hmm, that hole. So, Aruni remained there the whole night, sleeping, quote-unquote, sleeping there, actually trembling because of the intense cold of night, water coming to his back. <laughs> so in the very first hours of the morning, Domi Rishi was asking about Haruni, and he realized he's not here, so he started, he went to look for him to the res reservoir. So he found him on the fields, immersed in mud, and almost unconscious, because of such an extreme uh, experience. So Domi Rishi took Haruni, no, in his hands, in his lap, he took it. And he asked, "My dear boy, hmm, what are you doing?" Basically, he was asking, "Why didn't you didn't come back home yesterday night?" So again, Aruni re replied, as we may imagine, Gurudev, hmm, <laughs> you ordered me to repair the reservoir. So without having conclude my having conclude my seva, how can I return home? Hmm. That was like his conception. No? Seva is sacred, and if something is given to me. I'll finish that. So, of course, Domya Rishi heard this and he became too, he was totally moved. He puts his hands on the on the head of Aruni and says, may all wisdom from scripture may be manifest in your heart. So, Sri Guru was very pleased and he bestowed his mercy in this way on the disciples. So, because of such mercy, Aruni obtained, it is a spiritual enlightenment in that very same moment. 
all the meaning of all the scriptures manifested in his heart immediately by the grace of Sri Guru who was pleased with Aruni's disposition to service. So this is a similar classical idea and similar, for example, to the uh, ideal example of Guru Seva that we can find in Sri Krishna himself. He had many gurus, as you know, but we may say one of the main ones was Sandipani Muni. And this is narrated in the Bhagavad when Sri Krishna was went to the Gurukul to learn with, from Sandipani Muni 64 arts. He did that in 64 days. He was with Sudama, Sudama the Brahmana, not the Gopa from Braj. So he was his childhood friend, and they were studying together in this school. This is in, I think, eight, eight, chapter 80, 80 chapter of 10th Kant of the Bhagavad. So at one point, the, the wife of Sandipani Muni sent the boys to the forest to, to collect some good for the fire. Symbolically, that represents the idea of sacrifice, actually, in the scripture, when it is said, to accept the Guru, it says, Tat vijyanartam sagurumi babigachet samitpani shrotriya brahmanishtam. So samitpani means one should present oneself to Sri Guru carrying the wood for sacrifice. So that also symbolizes I am the sacrifice. So I, I, I approach Sri Guru with the disposition to swaha, to surrender myself. Pranipatena. So they were to the forest looking they went to the forest looking for this wood and a terrible rain came. So they became lost in the middle of the jungle with the rain. They were not able to go back to the Gurukul and both Sudam and Krishna took their hands together, they embraced and spent all the night together, you not know, like little boys. But determined in returning and carrying on the Guru Seva, bringing back the wood that Sandipani Muni was uh, requiring. So Sandipani Muni at one point understood the situation and he went immediately to the forest looking for his beloved uh, students. So he found them, the two of them, like uh, embracing each other and determined in, in following one's guru instructions. So oh, you, have so, you have suffered so much for me, he said, Sandipani Muni. No, your body, no, the body is the, the dearest thing for most people in this world. But you are so dedicated to me that you have sacrificed your own body, your own comfort, your own security for my sake. Hmm. So there he mentioned, it's the duty of every bona fide disciple to pay his, her debt to his guru, Guru Dakshina, by offering, uh, without ulterior motives, everything that one possesses, even one's own life. Hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm Sandipani say, of course, to them, I'm so satisfied with both of you. May all your wishes be fulfilled. May all Vedic mantras uh, that you have learned never fail to you in this world or in the next, something like this. So, again, we see the same example. You know, disciples sacrificing their whole time, energy, body, mind, life to Sri Guru. Because why? And the question is here, because Sri Guru is doing the same for me. That should be the healthy uh, level of exchange, of relationship. We should understand how Sri Guru is uh, you developing, uh, surrendering his her life for our service, to give a perfect example of service, a perfect teaching, and a loving disposition hmm, as a f father, friend, in a transcendental way. So the point is, the knowledge that I received from Sri Guru and his example is giving meaning to my life. So now my life, I have a new life. So I owe my life to that person, basically. That's the idea. So I will pay with my life. Hmm. Trying, trying to pay. I, I won't be able to pay such a gift, but I will try my best to give my life in return, if you will. Mm. And by so doing, as we may see, 
Sri Guru's heart melts and all blessings and mercy comes to the disciple. So it's important that we understand this. We have to express love and attachment to Guru Dev through surrender, to loving obedience. Again, we are not speaking about blind following, forced action, repression, fear. It has nothing to do with that, as you can hopefully see. It has to do with confidence, loving, natural attraction, hearts being moved. So you express your love and, and attachment to Sri Guru through proper obedience. Because, again, love means to serve, as Sila Prabhupada will say. You love someone, you will serve that person. Hmm? Hmm. And vice versa, of course. No? The other person will reciprocate. So to be a disciple, hmm, the, the word disciples come from discipline. So there has to be a discipline. Again, sustainable one. Always maintain this outside of the context of neurosis, of paranoia, <laughs> in a sustainable way. But there should be some discipline, we could say, to be obedient to Sri Guru. As we should be obedient to our parents. If there are good parents, we should be obedient and trust them. It's a healthy exchange, loving exchange. It's, it's promoting confidence and trust. So what is be with Sri Guru? If we are not obedient to Sri Guru, we are not disciples. And if we are not disciples, if there is no disciple, there is no Guru either. You follow? I mean, all, Guru will only appear... When there is obedience from the disciple, from the side of the disciple. Because, again, you can have the topmost Uttam Bhagavata Maha, whatever, in front of you as Guru, but if you are not acting as a disciple, you are not allowing that person to act as a Guru in your life. So it's a 50 50 equation, if you will. So, as a disciple, proper obedience, again, proper trust, confidence, affection should be there. If that's not there, Guru is not there. So Guru will manifest in our life as much also as we as disciples are there. Sometimes people say, who is my Guru? I'm looking for my Guru. I cannot find him. But the first question is not where is the Guru, but where is the disciple? Where I am? Where am I as a disciple? Because if I'm not ready to enter into that fire, do not expect the Guru to manifest. Maybe the Guru is right in front of your face, but you are not seeing him, hearing him. Hmm? and so on so we should try to understand the things and to understand our service to Sri Guru is today and today and tomorrow and for eternity we should try to serve Sri Guru in such a way that we are like confirming our prospect for eternity in the future not just today there's one famous example in this connection from Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati Thakur and Srila Siddhar Maharaj. Once Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta asked Srila Siddhar Maharaj, please help me in the opening of one temple, the Gaudiyamat, Madras Gaudiyamat. So it, it is said that some date was set for the opening of the temple, but they were not able to open it on time because there were not, they were not enough uh, financial means to finish the temple on proper time. So what did Srila Siddhar Maharaj do? He said, he decided to take out a loan hmm, to finish the temple on time. So, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati Thakur eventually arrived to the place and saw the temple was completed. Oh, he was very pleased, nice. But he heard, this was possible because Sila Maharaj took a loan. Hmm, and took a loan in order to accomplish that. So, he was, Prabhupada was already pleased, but now he was even more pleased when he realized the risk 
if you will, the Tilasira Maharaj took. And he said like to him, you have already ensured your future service by assuming this loan. Because you are obliged to pay to repay that loan. So in this way you are not only engaged in Seva today, but you are telling Krishna hmm, that you will be doing more service for him in the future. Hmm. <laughs> of course, this is an, an example. I'm not promoting excessive loans in the names of Guru Seva. <laughs> you have to make it in the proper way. But the idea is this. No? We are trying to, to... We want to, to make that clear. I'm not only serving Sri Guru today. I want to warranty my future engagement in that. Because again, Sri Guru is, as we always say, our dearest friend, showing to ourselves our brightest potential. So, I want to give my old self to that person. I want to, to fully trust that person. That's a very important point. Again, Vishrambhina, Guru Seva. Vishrambha, trust, full trust, very intimate faith, intimate connection. Silasya Maharaj once very nicely described what does it mean to have a guru by describing what does it mean to not have a guru. He said, what does it mean that you don't have a guru? He said that when, whenever you look, you feel, I cannot trust. That's the, the feeling, the experience of not having guru. I cannot trust. In other words... To have a guru means I can trust. I fully, I can fully trust in that particular direction. Hmm? No more fear. But again, going back to the idea of accepting a guru, accepting initiation, surrendering to the guru. If you have doubt regarding the guru, if you have fear regarding the guru, strictly speaking, you are not fit for initiation. Because again, initiation should be taken ideally from someone who has complete faith in that person. And if there is still any doubt in the mind, okay, you are not forced to stop doubting, but at least you should wait and solve that doubt. Because if not, you will be making a step without being fully sure about what's going on, and that doesn't, won't help to the whole guru's disciple equation. Again, ideally, there should be no scope for doubt after initiation. Of course, given that the guru is bona fide. <laughs> when I say guru, I mean what's implied by the term guru. Sometimes some things may happen in the way and we may need to recalculate and adjust, that's for sure. But I'm sharing like the ideal panoramic landscape. And again, that's why in the scriptures say, at least before accepting someone as your guru and before accepting someone as your disciple, one year period is recommended for knowing each other. And that was traditionally when the two people were living together. So that implies you really get to know the person on a daily basis. So nowadays that you may get to know the person not living together with the guru and the disciple, that may even be extended to more than one year in order to be fully sure about the step I'm taking. Mm. So again, before accepting guru, you may distinguish between maybe this guru, maybe that guru, who knows. But after accepting that person, ideally you should not have any longer any doubt about that person anymore. And that's that basis, again, not a forced uh, conviction, but a natural proved uh, confidence that will be the foundation for your life of Guru Seva. Mm. So again, all doubts should be removed ideally before initiation in that connection, the doubt regarding the person. And again, if you do that properly, after that you receive initiation and the only principle to observe is to follow the order of the Guru, as we say in the beginning. And of course, there are so many things are included. Sometimes we may call that 
regulative principle, but their real regulative principle is in Guru Sevet, follow Sri Guru, and all the other instructions will be included in this main prescription. Hmm? Again, we are Raga Bhaktas, we want to. So we will try to follow the mood of Sri Guru, the achar of Sri Guru, hmm? his mood, her mood, and achar encompasses all other rules, if you will, by paying proper attention to the example, to the salachar of Sri Guru, I will follow that. If, if my guru abstains from intoxicants, I will abstain from intoxicants. And so on. That's like the natural criteria. As guru, my Guru Maharaj once said, no? of course, he said it was in mature reply, but at the same time it was full of Bisramba, no? that once he asked the devotees, why are you shaving your head? And they say to him, because Prabhupada does. <laughs> and he say on one level, it was not a very elaborate answer, but on another level, I could perceive their degree of love for, for, his, for their guru. So that was charming. So there is a place to do that. So let me share some few words, more, more words. Again, this is more like a preliminary lecture about what Guru Seva is about, and maybe next Monday we will continue with some more detailed, practical, specific items, do's and don'ts in the realm of Guru Seva. Mm-hmm. But to, 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 to summarize, let's say, to love Guru Dev means to follow his orders, basically. Again, not in a mechanical way, but there is love, and I, from that love, that affection, naturally I will be willing to follow that. If you really love your, the object of your affection, you won't be able to disobey any instruction. Of course, this doesn't mean there is no, re- no place for speaking and dialogue, and if the guru asks something, you may say to him, because of this, of that, but it's not that you don't want to follow. <clears throat> Hmm? There is place for dialogue. It's the famous example of Srila Siddhar Maharaj where Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta asked him, please go to the West and preach. And he was willing to do so. He was surrendered to his guru, but also he offered proper advice. So there is place for that in the case of disciples that have that capacity. In the beginning, maybe the disciple will need just to say yes, 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 because there is no criterion, no enough maturity to offer some feedback to the guru. But as time progresses, disciples should be ready to offer some input. As Srila Siamaras did, he said, well, actually, my English is not the best. Uh, my nature is more introverted. And you are about to leave this world. I, will like, I think I will take more advantage being close to you. And with the last, mainly last point, he convinced Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta. But he said, after those three points, he said, but if you want me to go, I will go. So the point is, he was totally surrendered. But on the foundation, on the basis of that surrender, he offered some feedback to serve better. That's the point. To render even more substantial service, not avoiding the responsibility. <clears throat> so we should <clears throat> also be sincere about that. <clears throat> so there are some reasons, this is some reason for accepting the Guru. There is some interesting reason also we may share in more in a psychological um, <clears throat> framework, if you will, but there is one psychological reason why the guru has to be served unrespected, even like God, as the scriptures sometimes say. No, because some psychological studies have proved that that by the time of seven, eight years, as you may imagine, we have imbibed a great deal from our parents, from our childhood, and all these experiences created 
very deep ingrained some scars. And many of those, as devotees, we need to clean. We need to replace them with bhakti samskars. So the question is how to replace such powerful samskars. It is say that this is only possible if we meet a person for whom we develop greater love. Again, I don't, I don't want to dismiss one's parents' role in this life, nothing like that, but we need such a figure and even more powerful in order to, quote-unquote, overcome certain samskars that need to be replaced. So we need to meet a person for whom we develop greater love, greater respect, greater obedience that we may have had for our parents during our childhood. And of course such a person, in one sense we could say, such a person can only be God, because nobody else can replace our parents. Their role, their influence. No, so Sri Guru is that person. It's God coming in that particular way, as we know. Achintya Bidabid. It's God, he's not God, in a representational sense. So we have to properly conceive this and properly develop some intensity of affection towards the person of Sri Guru. In one sense, the intensity of love for Sri Guru that we have for Guru, that will be the same intensity of love we will have for Krishna. Not the exact form of it. No? Try to see the difference. Someone may have affinity towards Krishna in Sakya Ras, Maturya Ras, it doesn't mean that you will treat your Guru in, in conjugal relationship. But the intensity of, of surrender as sadhakas now, hmm? whatever intensity and surrender uh, and trust and confidence we are projecting and, and, and expressing towards Guru, naturally that will take a particular form in connection to Sri Hari. Hmm? So, basically that, in summary, we should, one should work and live um, under the instructions of one, one's Guru, hmm? whoever that Guru figure is the most prominent one in one's life, and one should consider oneself his servant, her servant. Sisya hmm? Abhiman. My sense of identity is I am a kinkar, I am a servant, I am a sevaka. That's a very, again, prestigious. I feel so fortunate to, 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 to receive the chance of even getting close to that role. So, in one sense, this is the most important thing in Vaishnava etiquette. That's why I'm pounding this post. And I have not yet started with some specific tips. Because... These particular rules that I may share next class, all of them will be a natural byproduct of having this in place. And all the other points that we will share from now on in the remaining lectures of Vaishnava etiquette, all of them will be again a natural byproduct of the confidence and affection that we will have for Sri Guru as Sevakas. So, this is the most important thing to begin with. Try to have it in your mind very clear. I consider myself a servant of my Gurudev. Because why so important? <clears throat> of course, one may say because the tendency is to forget that, <laughs> basically. And to consider ourselves independent. Independent doers, independent agents, independent everything. So we need to, to properly ingrain a healthy sense of dependence to overcome hmm, our false sense of independence. Hmm. So a real disciple will feel that. Guru Kripa Hikevalam. And Guru Kripa Hikevala means the only thing in my life is the mercy of my Guru. That's the all in all for me. That's how a sincere disciple is feeling. Whatever may happen in my spiritual life, that's the mercy of my Guru. It's not my personal merit. It's not my separate attainment. But it is coming to me as a gift from above. So that's the mercy of Sri Guru. And what's the mercy of Sri Guru? Again, sometimes this idea may sound abstract, but I... <clears throat> 
as I've shared in some of the previous examples, we could say that when Sri Guru has a, a pleased disposition, he's pleased, a loving disposition in his heart towards his her disciple, and the disciple, of course, is humble and surrender. That feeling that is there in the heart of Sri Guru, that's what we know as Sri Guru's mercy. No? To invoke that particular disposition in the Guru's heart, that naturally will shower hmm, affectionately the sincere disciple. Hmm? So we should be those sincere disciples. We are, I mean, to be disciple means to be a sincere disciple. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Hmm? We should be a grateful disciples, basically. We should appreciate the gift of Triguras. The from famous Pranam Mantra says, Mukam karoti langayati girim yet kripata maham By the grace of Triguru, someone who is blind can see, someone who is cannot speak, can recite great poetry, someone who is lame can cross over the mountains. So the point is, we are those spirits, we have been those persons. We were not able to walk. We are just stumbling and falling into this material existence, and now we are learning how to properly walk. We, are not, we were not able to see, we were blind to reality. We thought we were seeing. Now we have received eyes. Sri Guru gives us Shastra Chakshu, the eyes of knowledge, of revelation. And we were not able to speak. We were just engaging in nonsense topics. So Sri Guru now is giving us a reason to have a tongue, if you will, to chant Hari's name and speak Harikata and chant his, her glories. So the point is, we should feel eternally indebted because our life has new meaning and prospect. So our whole life and prospect should be offered in Seva, in the spirit of Guru Seva. And we are in Kali Yuga, which is the age of ungratefulness. We could say age of quarrel and hypocrisy, and part of that is ungratefulness. So we especially need to be grateful. <coughs> to begin with, to be grateful is a, a quality of sattvaguna. So, of course, sattvaguna is not the goal, and here we are speaking about something which is beyond the gunas, but gradually we should rise above the lower modes, especially in relation to Sri Guru, who is the very ambassador of the Nirguna plane, of the Visuddha Sattva plane, who comes to our life to bestow the gift that will take us beyond the gunas and throw us into pulse-liberated existence. So again, hopefully some of these words are of inspiration and help to clarify the very foundation of Guru Seva and how, of that, how of that, on the basis of that foundation we will do whatever we do on a daily basis. We will perform so many varieties of devotional activities and we will be follow so many details of Vaishnava etiquette that we will share from now on. But all this will be done on this foundation of Guru Seva, of this proper spirit and conception in service to Sri Guru. So, some words I want to share today. I will leave here and next lecture we will continue in the context of Guru Seva's explaining some uh, practical, again, uh, points and advices but on the context of whatever I have explained today, for you to understand how we are to follow those things on the basis of our affection and trust. Because if not, if we only speak about rules and do this and do not that, some people may misunderstand that, misapprehend that, and feel this is not natural, this is force, I'm not willing to do so. But if we understand which should be the background, the other things will naturally flow. That will be like a common sense byproduct. But we will speak about that next lecture. So I will stop here. And of course, um, if there are any questions, doubts, comments you may like to share, 
uh, we have some some extra minutes. Arch and Sidi, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, um, is there a place um, for having a different perspective, viewpoint, and Hebrew connecting, especially to relative issues? For example. Mm. Um, I mean, what what do you mean by regarding what I said? Because I said many things regarding what, like full surrender yes, and full acceptance in this in this context. Yeah, full acceptance. I guess it's like that idea of being totally aligned seems that some is there a place? Um, yeah, different. Yes, of course, of course. I, I, I didn't enter into the details. I, I just gave the example, for example, of... Uh, of course, I recommended to read a book like um, Figure and His Grace, especially in that part you will see Silasira Maras speaking quite in detail about that, the absolute and the relative side of Sri Guru. Also, I gave the example of Srila Siddhar Maharaj being willing to follow his guru, but also having some other opinion and sharing his advice. But also, more specifically regarding your question, in relative issues, there is no problem, of course. No? For example, I, I, I don't know if you have an, any particular example in mind, but let's say Sri Guru says, <clears throat> I don't know, whatever. No, he, he likes certain food, and you say, okay, Guru, guru Dev likes that, I must like that. And not necessarily. You may not like eggplants. I personally do not like eggplants. And my Guru Maharaj likes eggplants. So <laughs> it's not that, oh, you are not fully surrendered because you are not eating eggplant. Of course, if someone gives me his Maha Maha Prashad of eggplant, I will accept that in that context. But it doesn't mean that I will force myself into that. And again, on, on a more general sense of nature, you know, the person may have a particular nature I may have certain affinity, no? even to that point, let's say, and this is not so relative even, no? Sri Guru may have an inner affinity, and the rule is generally the disciple will follow that affinity, but it may not be the case, because of certain previous samskars. So Sri Guru may have affinity for Sakya Bab, a disciple may have affinity for Madhurya Bab, and it's not doesn't mean you are not following your Guru. Hmm? So when I'm speaking in a more general sense about what the principle of Guru represents in one's life and how one should dispose oneself into that direction in a most substantial sense of the term. But of course, relative details are there to be adjusted. But all of that, even that, in the spirit of following that person in the best possible way. Like when Sila Semara said, you know, if the Guru says, pronounces a bad word in the class, it's not that the dictionary should be changed. No, you, you you will offer service to Sri Guru by pointing to that detail. And, and it's not that you are finding fault in that person, that you are not following him fully, but you are just thinking about how to serve in the best possible way. So, yes, there is a scope for diversity, I will say, basically. I, I, I'm not speaking in that case that you are rejecting the person, disobeying the person. And a real Guru also will be someone who won't be trying to force let's say, his relative side on his disciples. He, no? That should be the, the standard. Of course, that may happen in a natural way. Sometimes the guru may have some way of whatever, singing, let's say, whatever the case, of wearing certain dress. And some disciples may imitate him on some level. I will continue speaking about that next class also. 
And on some level, that may be healthy and necessary. Like a child will imitate father and follow him or mother in every single detail, even the relative ones. But at some point, the individuality of the person also has to flourish. In the context of love, affection, and confidence to, towards his or her guardians, but you have to be a person, you have to develop your own individual criteria, which, which doesn't mean I less surrender, actually on the opposite, as, as your own individuality and criteria and independent thinking increases in the context of dependence, that's an ornament that you will be able to serve better. So yes, of course, again, this is a general uh, idea and question, and of course, it's totally valid, but I, I, I imagine that also in many cases there may be very specific situations where it's also important to to know how to do that. And, and no problem, famous example, for example, Gorky Shordas Babaji and Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, Sarasvati Thakur. Hmm. He nicely harmonized that. No, as you know, first thing, almost, it is said, the first instruction that Gorky Shordas Babaji told Bhaktisiddhanta was, never go to Calcutta. And he said, ne and do not preach, do not get entangled in preach, just be a Bhajananandi. But on the other side, Bhaktivinoda you know, Thakur said to Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta preach, and he was also a prominent guru figure in his life. So when he, and, and it is said that one of the very first things that Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta did was to go to Kolkata. Someone asked him, but your guru has tell you, told you to never go there. And he said, I never went to Kolkata. I always remained at the lotus feet of my guru. So he, in one sense, he rejected the instruction. <laughs> he didn't agree with the nature of the instruction. With, it has to do with the nature of the person. Gorkishore Dadbaji was a Bajananandi. He was not thinking about preaching. I've got to go into a big city. And Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta took the spirit of that. He remained at those feet. He followed Bhaktivinoda. And he went not to Calcutta, because Calcutta is a state of consciousness. <laughs> and he preached. But also he said the best, pre the best Gostyanandi, the best preacher, is a Vajananandi who preaches. So... Gorky Shortas Babaji wanted Bhaktisiddhanta to be a Bhajananandi, and he remained a Bhajananandi. It's not that Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta was not a Bhajananandi, but on top of that he was preaching. So in this way he kind of followed the instruction of his two gurus, also he had his own nature, and in this way he harmonized that. So we should find a way to, to harmonize everything, and again, if some particular instruction of three gurus is... Not, we are not able to follow it or we are not able to fully understand it or whatever. We are trying to do that in a dysfunctional way and it's disturbing our button. We should be able to speak that with him, with her. There's always place room for dialogue. The guru doesn't want a disciple to be surrendered at the price of getting emotionally dysfunctional or, or whatever. So everything can be properly accommodated, spoken with three gurus, siksha gurus, and, and, and we should conduct ourselves in service in a natural and happy way. Of course, some sacrifice will be there as well. No? Okay, I hope that helps. Um, I have a question, Maharaj. Yeah, l let me read one Mahara from the chat. There is one written, two written okay. questions here, so we will go with one written, one live, and so on. Omkar is asking, Maharaj, could you kindly share that prayer for Guru you recited in relation to the verse Guru Kripa Hiki Valam um, I'm not sure which prayer you refer to maybe you refer to the one Mukam Karoti Bachalam Fangun Langayate Girim 
Yet Kripata Maham Bande Sri Guru Dinataranam. I'm not sure that I said. No, one before for the yeah, grace. Maharaj. Okay. That was it. Thank you. Okay, that's the one. I mean, it's, it doesn't have a clear shastric. I mean, it's, it's it's invoked by every every almost every Gaudiya Vaishnav. But my point is, it's not clearly established from where it's coming. But it's like a very classical Sanskrit prayer that uh, I don't have here. I just recited by heart. I'm, I'm I'm not having just to copy paste. But you can look for that. It's very very. Uh, I mean, I'm putting. I put in just the first line. You can look for that and it will appear immediately. It's even recited beyond Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It's like an old classical Vedic Hindu prayer towards the Guru. Very, very full of gratefulness. Yes, Mahara, you had a question. Yes, Maharaj. Um, what about this kind of a situation? Um, so Prabhupada uh, stressed chanting to us. He, he stressed it um, very much and so um, on the beads. And so I read yesterday that, and I'm pretty attached to chanting, not because I'm advanced, but because I'm fallen and afraid to not chant. And just, I want to chant. But um, I read in the um, Madhurya Kadamadi that, that the Guru may ask, uh, his disciple cannot chant, and Guru Seva is more important than chanting. So, and I know there are, I know a few devotees from uh, Guru Maharaj's disciples that have such Guru Nishtha that they would not um, mind doing that, and they have done it, not chanting instead of, you know, to do Seva. And um, but I know that I do all my life to Guru Maharaj, and I owe it to you, too, because you're my Shiksha Gurus. But I don't know if I could ever follow that order because, um, you know, I'm so, I guess I'm sort of addicted to chanting in a way. Well, you know what I mean? That's a, yeah. So what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's... what do you do in a situation like that? Because then I'm not surrendering. No, 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 no. I mean, that's a fortunate addiction you have. So your guru, your gurus are very happy by hearing if, if, if any student is saying, I'm addicted to chanting, and I, I, I don't think I will... I, I mean, and, and you can imagine that this is a very specific thing. Generally, the instruction won't be stop chanting. I mean, the instruction is to commit yourself to chanting and gradually increase your taste for chanting to the point of kirtaniya sadahari, non-stop chanting. So... It's not that the guru is against chanting <laughs> or will instruct to stop chanting. But also, of course, there is place for some specificity and particular cases where some, for example, Sevaka, personal servitor of Sri Guru, there are many cases in the story of Vaishnavism. They were so engaged in that and they were especially empowered by that, inspired to do so. So again, not... And the scripture says, no, there are different angas of bhakti and you may attain perfection in, by this, by that. And a special emphasis is put on, on Guru Seva. So if you really embrace Guru Seva and it takes a particular form according to the situation, there is no problem if, I don't know, <clears throat> a personal servant of Sri Guru uh, has to be totally all day long with Sri Guru because of this reason and didn't have time to attend. It doesn't mean he or she didn't want to chant, but the situation was such that there was no time, but the person was really surrendered there. So that's, I will say, it's more of an exception to the rule. And Krishna will also manifest that 
in particular cases that he knows that person has certain nature that will be able to to embrace that. So also do not be, we shouldn't be fearful, like, oh, I like chanting so much and if my guru asks me, stop chanting and doing this, I, I will go mad, what will happen to me? I mean, you know, I mean, Krishna is in your heart and, and Sri Guru is the representational form of Krishna, so in one sense, Krishna will inform Sri Guru in that direction and he won't be able to, to do that or sometimes he may test, if you will, the disciple by asking something but the person will be unable to follow that, like the famous example of Anupam, which made a bow with Rupa and Sanatan, different line but connected. Okay, all of us will worship Radha Krishna forever, but that night Anupam couldn't sleep because he felt, my Devi is Sitaram, so they presented, I cannot abandon them. And I already made the commitment with my gurus, Sanatan, Rupa were his brothers, but also gurus as well. So he presented the case to Mahaprabhu and, and Mahaprabhu said, Bless is that Lord who cannot abandon his devotee and bless that devotee who cannot abandon his Lord. So in that sense, uh, if one has certain taste for certain service, uh, it's nice. And, and Guru will appreciate that. Actually, Guru is there to nourish that. The Guru is not there to impose anything in a superficial way. And so if some devotee develops some proper affinity in the context of bhakti, there is no place to say, stop doing that. And if, if if the person will say, stop doing that, that may be a very circumstantial thing, emergency for the moment. If I know that you are addicted to chanting, I won't tell you, stop chanting. But maybe I may tell you, Mahara, please, my house is on fire, come and help me with some water. In that sense, and, and you may be chanting at that moment. <laughs> and in that sense, I'm telling you, stop chanting, if you will. Now, I need some help for a while. And maybe that day you didn't chant your prescribed number because you were busy saving my life. So... <laughs> But, but on a general line, I think we should be uh, happy if we develop some affinity towards some anga of bhakti, what to speak of some addiction, and, and we report that to Sri Guru, and, and, and he, she will bless, so we may continue with that for sure. Okay, so there are some few questions here, written form. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mara. That was great. Tadas has one question here in the chat. It says, I have heard that it is most painful thing when your chitta is being cleaned and it happens even just being close to Guru. How then is it possible to love somebody more than your parents if he she creates pains to you? Is it firstly you should understand intellectually that Guru and pain is needed and good to you and just after cleaning process love comes? Well, I will first we should clarify those expressions because sometimes the things are being said without much context and we may get a little bit scared about having a guru and whatever, painful things. And we should go, and sometimes some sort of Christian idea of suffering and sacrifice, and we may go to some extremes that are not healthy. We may become dysfunctional in the name of surrender and sacrifice that has happened and still happens in many cases. So, I mean, when our chitta is being cleansed, I wouldn't say it's most painful thing. I mean, <laughs> because of course there will be some, there may be some difficulty and even some pain on some level. But if you have the proper understanding of what's going on, that won't be painful. At least that won't be most painful. And the process is gradual, so you cannot just clean your whole chitta from one shot, because that will be too painful. That's that's for sure. <laughs> And we may not be able, we may be develop some scars regarding the practice that this is painful. 
This is painful, but I have to do it. This is painful. And Krishna says, Susukam kortum Susukam kortum. This process should be engaged in in a joyful way. Relatively speaking, at least. Now, it shouldn't be a torture because it's, un- it's impossible to sustain in time. So there may be some pain because purification is going on, but it's not that the, the process is painful. But whatever we have in our hearts is painful because we are attached to the wrong thing. So it says it happens even more when you are close to the Guru. Again, it's not that the Guru is creating pain. The Guru is the personification of purity. So if you are not pure, the, that pain will come from your own impurities. not that the other person is the, 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 the bad one. No? Sometimes that happens. We may be with another devotee and, and the presence of some person may trigger us. We trigger some uh, attitudes in us. But the point is, the person is just triggering that, if you will. But the immunition, if you speak in terms of machine guns, immunition is in us, it's not in the other person. <laughs> the person of the other person is just triggering the whole thing. But the trigger is just one small thing in the whole gun. And the ammunition and all that, that's inside of me. So we should be introspective with something that's being triggered to ask, why? Why this is happening? I mean, the other person is just maybe triggering that, but the whole rest of the thing is in me. The ammunition especially, the explosion. So what's creating that in me? So, and again, yes, being too close, and also we should think, how close could I, can I be to the Guru? That's a matter. It's not black or white criteria. Guru sometimes is described as fire. So if you get too close to the fire, you may burn. And if you get too far, you may not cook yourself properly and remain in a raw condition. So gradually, we will, we should become like fire. We should become fire-like students to the point of being able to live in the fire. As Guru Mahesh, my Guru Mahesh will give the example, entering into the sun planet and live with Surya Dev, if you will. You have to develop a fire-like body. So in the beginning, you cannot even get too close to the fire. What to speak of develop a whole identity made of that. So the gurus make the fire in the sense of fully surrender, full pure. So as, as we do not have those qualities, that may create some challenge for us. That's what we may call painful. When I say painful, I mean, I'm mainly saying challenging. I'm mainly saying the purity of that person is taking me out of my comfort zone. We spoke about that in our series on Divine Imperfect. Uh, we are being thrown into the realm of divine paradox. The person is challenging us to think more deeply, to get out of, of the things that we think are sure of, but of all of this in a sustainable way. Again, we cannot learn all this process in one weekend. We will go mad. So we should do that in a sustainable way that we are able to feel fortunate, happy, understand what's going on. And in the midst of that, yes, some difficulty may come, some suffering may come, but we should also understand why this is coming, and with proper understanding, we won't be identifying with that. I mean, sometimes you wake up and you are suffering, it, and it doesn't have to be with your guru or something. And you should understand, I mean, of course, that may be implied, but my point is, sometimes, let's say, tamaguna is predominating in your chitta. A particular wave of tamaguna is taking you to the, to the, towards the direction of depression. So if you are able enough, you will detect that, way, you won't identify with that. The suffering is there, it's trying to express itself in your mind, but you understand what's going on, and somehow or other you are not... Because the full suffering is when you fully identify with that. Hmm? So that's my point. The Guru is not creating pain. Guru comes to, to free us from pain. 
But sometimes it's painful for us to surrender. It's painful for, to us, for us to be humble. But it's not that humility is painful. It's us who are out of contact with reality. And that's the example Jiva, uh, Rupa Goswami gives of, of, of jaundice. You are eating the sweets and they are, they are bitter for you toward your tongue. But it's not that the sweet is bitter. It's sweet, but your tongue is bitter. So the suffering is in us. The pain is in us. It's not that the other person is inflicting pain on us. So sometimes the pain is going out and you may feel the pain. <clears throat> but it's saying goodbye to you. <clears throat> hmm? So it's important, yes, to have, as you ask, some understanding of all that. Hmm? And, and, under, and also have confidence and trust. My guru won't force me to a level that I cannot do. And Krishna won't send me tests that I cannot uh, surpass. We have that confidence. Krishna knows my present situation better than me. So he will for sure send me the specific situation that I need to go through. Not something beyond that, but I myself should also be honest with myself and realize where am I standing and how much can I can I deal with with all this? Something like that. Okay. Something else. Um, there, I I think I see one question has been sent to my streaming in Facebook. One question by Martin Fossati. He's saying, how should be the relationship of a sadhaka with the guru of his guru and also with the guru of the sadhus close to the sadhaka? Well, that's a big topic and I plan to speak more about that next class and the next class after next class, I think. Uh, especially in this book, Sri Guru and His Grace, there is a lot of this. There are some practical details to consider. But at one point, at least in a general way, uh, of course, generally, generally, it's not the case that the guru of your guru is alive. I mean, that's an, that can happen. There is possibility. That's an exception to the rule and a very particular taste of bhakti experience that you may have your grandfather guru, if you will, alive. And, and that will be a very special thing, for sure. Hmm? But generally, the case is that that person won't be present in this body and, and, the, and the person who is your guru has accepted that service once his or her guru have passed away. That's the, the, the general rule uh, on one side. And with the guru of the sadhus close to the sadhaka, <clears throat> well, depending if you have a guru, if that's a different guru, you don't have a guru yet. So that may take a different nuanced perspective. Some of them could be seen as a god not godfather, but god-aunt, as sometimes it is said, there are certain nuances, like the god-brothers of your guru. Now, of course, on one level, you will respect them as, as your guru in the same way. That's classical when the guru receives the Vyasa Puja. Generally, that happens. The guru himself will worship. If there are any god-brother, god-sister present, he will, she will worship those god-siblings and will receive, after that, the worship, of course, in the spirit of <clears throat> that worship is for my Guru Maharaj. I'm just here representing him, her. Mm -hmm. But in, in brief words, apart from what I said, it should be full of affection, of confidence. But of course there are nuances and there are moods. And there are, as we'll speak next class, there are different currents. There are missions, different Vaishnava missions. So not in every direction you are forced to express the same degree of intimacy. Mm -hmm. But at, at least on a general level, one should be respectful of course, to all Vaishnavs, what to speak, if there are 
hmm? the god siblings of my guru and so on so, but i will i will elaborate more on this if you want uh, and if you can wait during next lectures <clears throat> okay so any other question before finishing we are almost on time Okay, so I think we can finish here. So thank you very much to all of you, again, for your time, questions, presence, and Guru Seva for sure. So hope to see you next uh, Monday, where we will continue with the second part of our presentation of uh, Guru Seva in the context of Vaishnava etiquette. Srila Gurudev ki jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai, Gold Premier, Haribo.